Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Uh, I want to encourage anyone to go ahead and register for that seminar, uh, the Resolving Everyday Conflict Seminar. You can do that today. I know I plan on attending and sitting in the back and heckling Kenny throughout the entire process as he leads it to try and create conflict to see how he handles that. And so that'll be fun, at least for me, so you may want to come and observe uh, it, it is a great seminar to help us process things with family, things with people that we work with, people uh, who we live near, uh, and resolve conflict in ways that are pleasing to God. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Jesus Revealed, where we are walking through the Gospel of Mark. And I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 29 through 35, so you can... Turn there in your Bibles or open there in your devices. We're going to be in Mark 1, 29 through 45. There are certain words in other languages that are fun to say even if we don't know what they mean. And as we walk through the New Testament and see some of the Greek words that are there in the New Testament, there are some of them that are a joy as they roll off your tongue, even if we have no idea what they mean. And one of those is the focus for our message today. It is the Greek word, splagnizomai. Right? It sounds a little bit like you should say, bless you afterwards, right? Splagnizomai, bless you. It is the Greek word for compassion or pity. It is a word that shares a root with the word for our, our gut or our bowels. It, it means to feel for someone, to be moved for someone and what they're going through in our innermost places. Now, th this word has a compatriot in the Hebrew language used throughout the Old Testament. The word for compassion in the Old Testament is rachum, and it comes from a, a root that means the womb. The idea here is a mom who is holding her brand newborn baby for the first time. And that baby has so many needs. And how does the mom feel about providing for those needs? Right? Her, her heart, her mind, her every part of her is ready to provide for those needs for that little baby. And that's the idea behind this Old Testament word for compassion. To be moved so that we are ready to, to provide whatever is needed for that person. And, and that's going to be our focus today. Because our God is a God of compassion. Old Testament, New Testament, we read about the great compassion of our God. Places like Lamentations 3.22, His compassions never fail. 2 Corinthians 1.3, he is the father of all compassion and the God of all comforts. James 5.11, the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Daniel 9.9, to the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. Exodus 34.6, he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. Our God is compassionate. And so, as God in the flesh, Jesus is showing compassion to people everywhere he goes. And in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus show compassion in three different settings, in three different ways, over the course of a 24-hour period of time. 
When we begin in verse 29, he is still in Capernaum, right? You can see where that is up on the map, up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. When we left off last week, it was the Sabbath. And Jesus was in the synagogue and he was teaching people as one who had, what was the word? Authority. And people were amazed at his teachings that had authority. And so as he's teaching people all morning, he is confronted by a man who we're told has a demon. The demon recognizes that Jesus has all authority. He refers to him as the Holy One of God. And he knows Jesus can and will destroy him. He just wants to know, is now the time? Is this when it's coming? And Jesus shows all of that authority by casting the demon out of the man. And so Jesus spends the morning teaching the people in the synagogue. He has cast out a demon. And as early afternoon arrives, I have to believe that Jesus is hungry and a little tired. Maybe I'm just projecting. Because right? I know that is how I feel. After a morning of teaching, I'm hungry and I'm a little bit tired. And we see Jesus get hungry and his body got tired. And now he's at that place, having taught in the synagogue all morning, having cast out this demon. It's time to go back to Peter's house with a small group of people, eat a little bit, rest a little bit. But when he arrives at Peter's house, there is no food ready and rest is not on the menu. Look with me at these verses. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus finished teaching and he went to the home of Simon and they probably had a plan. They're going to spend a little bit of small group time together. Maybe he's going to do a little bit of discipleship with these two sets of brothers. Maybe they're just going to rest Eat, get ready for tomorrow because they're going to go on a journey tomorrow filled with him preaching and teaching. But when he arrives, there, there's no food and there is work to be done. Peter's mother-in-law lays ill. And, and this isn't the sniffles. She's flat on her back sick. They immediately tell Jesus about her illness and he goes up to the room, finds her there, lifts her up to her feet and she is healed instantly as he does that. And how does she respond to that healing? She immediately begins to serve. I don't think she is serving out of obligation here, but out of desire. This is the natural reaction to the supernatural compassion of God being shown to us. Jesus has shown to her compassion. Splagnizomai has been shown to her. And she is moved and wants to serve everyone that is around her. And so she begins to serve. Now that this is done, now maybe they can have a little bit of that small group time and the rest of the evening can just be spent resting, getting ready for tomorrow. Nope. What happens as soon as sundown takes place? The whole town shows up at Peter's house. 
They have carried the sick there. There are the demon-possessed who show up at Peter's house. Jesus had maybe a, a different plan for how that evening was going to go. And instead, he begins to heal everyone who is sick and cast out the demons of those who are demon-oppressed. And he spends the evening doing this. And I think part of what we see from Jesus here is that Jesus does not give in to the temptation to hold to his own plans when the compassion of God needs to be shown. He is governed not by plans, but by the compassion of God. They had a different plan for how this afternoon and evening was going to go. But he is willing to set those plans aside in order to show the compassion and love of God to those who show up to the whole city. Why do they show up at sundown? Because this is the Sabbath, right? He was teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they taught that it was wrong to heal on the Sabbath. And so everyone waits, and as soon as the sun goes down, the Sabbath is over. And the whole town shows up at Peter's house and says, let's go, Jesus. It's healing time. I got friends oppressed by demons. Take care of it. Jesus easily could have said, oh, we've got different plans for this evening. We were actually planning on having just a little bit of small group time tonight. Could you guys come back tomorrow? But instead, he gives up his plans in order to show the compassion of God. Jesus does this regularly. We see it in Mark chapter 6. He has sent the disciples out two by two around in order to do ministry all around the area of Israel. They return. It's been weeks since they've seen each other. They're tired. Jesus says, come on, let us all go and get away. And so he takes the disciples into this remote area so they can all get away from everyone. And thousands follow after and find him. They all gather around. His plan was for them to get away and spend some time, just he and the disciples. But when those thousands of people show up, Jesus sets the plan aside, and we're told in Mark chapter 6 that he had compassion on them, splagnizomai on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to teach them for hours and hours on end. I need you to understand right now, the greatest act of compassion is to teach people for hours and hours on end. <laughs> he sets aside the plan because there's an opportunity to show the compassionate heart of God. One of the greatest barriers to me showing compassion, splagnizomai, for other people are the plans that I already have on the books. Now listen, friends, there are times where we have plans on the books that have to stand. But I'm afraid that we live more and more in a culture in which every day is planned out in such a way so that when opportunities to come up to help people in our life group, to, to help people who are a part of our church family, to help people who are in our family, we've got the days so full and so planned that the answer is always no because we've got other things planned. What Jesus models for us is setting aside those plans because he won't be driven by plans. He'll be governed by the compassion or splagnizomai of God in his actions. I want to be a person who has 
is willing to set aside the plans for the day when Jesus calls us to show his compassion to those that we are close to. Jesus is governed by compassion over plans. Now we're going to see him show compassion the following morning, right? He's up well into the evening. He is healing people. He is casting out demons. What happens the following morning? And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogue and casting out demons. After a late night of healing people and casting out demons, Jesus gets up before the sun comes up in order to go out and pray. Why? I think in large part because he wants to be with the Father. This is his opportunity to get away from everyone else and be with the Father. Yes, is, is prayer good for us? Is being with God in prayer good for us? Absolutely it is. But I think Jesus also desperately just wants time with his Father because he loves the Father perfectly and the Father loves him perfectly. Do I schedule times away with my wife because they're good for us? Yeah, in part. But even more than that, because I want to. Right? I want to have those times with her. And Jesus wants to get away and be with the Father. And as he goes to get away and be with the Father, Peter forms a little search party when they wake up and goes, where's Jesus? we got to find him. And so they, goes, they start searching all over the place for Jesus. And when Peter and the search party find Jesus, they deliver the good news. Everybody wants you, Jesus. You are trending so hard right now. Like They love you. They really love you. And what is Jesus' response to this? Everybody wants you. Jesus' response is, great. Let's go to the next town. Oh, they want me over here? Great. Let's go over there. We haven't had a chance to preach the gospel there yet. And here Jesus overcomes a temptation that I'm not sure I would have overcome. In order to show the compassion of God, he overcomes the temptation to please people. Right? I, I would have been overwhelmed with a temptation to please these people. They all want to see you again, Jesus. The entire town wants to come and just, just acknowledge you. Hey, say thank you for what you did last night. They all want to be around you. You, you get a sense from Peter, like, Peter, that, that G, Jesus, they love you. And and they also kind of love me because they love you. This is great, Jesus. Come on, let's go. And Jesus says, nope, we're going to the other towns. Now, by doing that, in a day in which these towns had rivalries with each other, Jesus is saying, I could be the hero here and just hang out in Capernaum. I mean, what's one more day to soak all this in? But instead, he goes on to their rival towns and he's going to do the same things there, potentially becoming the goat rather than the hero in the minds of the people of Capernaum. But Jesus is never motivated by pleasing people. He's motivated by the heart of God and showing the compassion of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, 
For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Our primary motivation in the decisions that we make can either be pleasing God or it can be pleasing people. And Paul says, if I'm primarily focused on pleasing people, well, that's not what the life in Christ is all about. It's about being a pleaser of God in the things that we do. Now, I know this has been a primary battle in my life, all of my life, and so I have formed a set of questions that I ask myself on a regular basis in order to figure out how am I doing in this area of people-pleasing. And for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you out there, people-pleasing is one of the greatest battles that you have in your life. It's one of the greatest idolatries that wants to creep in. And so I'd invite you to ask these questions that I try to regularly ask myself, just to see, how, how are you doing with this? Are you often overly busy, or do you have a hard time saying no because you want people to think the best of you? Do you have a hard time making decisions because you don't want people to be upset with what you decided? Do you spend time worrying about whether someone is upset with you? Do you talk less about Jesus in public because people might think you're weird. When you have a decision to make, do you go through your mental Rolodex to think about what important people in your life will say about how you make that decision? All right, take a moment with those. Do you also struggle with the temptation towards people-pleasing? Jesus never made decisions based on what pleased people, but instead on what showed the compassionate heart of God. People were constantly trying to get him to do stuff. John chapter 6, we're going to make you king by force. He just walks away. Matthew 15, hey, you offended the Pharisees. Oh, well. Hey, we want you to take the lead against Rome. Nope. Hey, we want you to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Nope. Hey, how about if you perform some miracles right now to show us who you truly are? Nope. All you get is the sign of Jonah. Again and again, he hangs out with people who hurt his reputation and refuses to kowtow to the people who would help his reputation because he's not about people-pleasing. He is about God-pleasing in all that he does. He wants to please his Father and show the compassionate heart of God. And that is precisely what he does here. He says, come on, let's go to the other towns. They need the good news too. The compassion of God compels us to go and share the good news that through repentance and belief in the gospel, they can have relationship with God and be free from their sins. Let's go and show the compassion of God. That is what is driving him here. The compassion of God is evident as well in Jesus in the final scene in Mark. Here Jesus comes upon a man who has leprosy. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved by what? Pity. Right? Some of your versions say compassion. This is splugnizomai. Right? Moved by splugnizomai. He is moved in the deepest place with compassion towards this man. Moved by that compassion, he stretches out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate Places. He was out in the wilderness, and people were coming to him from every quarter. While Jesus is still outside the town, a leper who is forced to stay outside the town approaches him. Anyone else as a kid, as you are reading these accounts, think that Jesus was regularly coming in contact with leopards, like large cats that he was healing, <laughs> maybe changing their spots or something? I don't know. Not leopards. I, I can tell I'm the only one that thought that. Okay. Lepers. He has leprosy. What was leprosy? Well, it involves modern-day leprosy or Hansen's disease, but it was actually broader than that. But every form of leprosy, as it was known there, was physically damaging to a person. But more than the physical damage was the challenge of isolation that came with being declared a leper. If I was declared a leper today because a spot was found on me, I would be immediately removed from all of the advantages and benefits of society. I would be removed from my town, no longer able to interact, no longer protected by the town. I would no longer be able to live with my wife. I couldn't hug my kids any longer. Because I was believed to be contagious, I couldn't worship with people in the synagogue. I couldn't come and offer sacrifices in the temple. I was outside. And the Jewish teachers taught that I needed to proclaim myself unclean, unclean, anytime someone got within a hundred paces of me. Right? Can you imagine some of the challenge and shame that came with that? Not only was there isolation, there was shame because the Jewish leaders of this day taught that more than any other disease or malady, leprosy was a curse from God for being a worse sinner than others. So not only are you isolated from all community, from protection, from family, from any physical touch or being near anyone, the Jewish leaders of the day are teaching you that you have this disease because you are a worse sinner than anyone else. And so you are constantly repenting, and yet, as the leprosy remains, living in shame. What is it about me that was worse than everyone else? A man who has lived with that approaches Jesus and expresses full confidence that Jesus can heal him. It's just whether or not he wants to. If you will, if you desire Jesus, you can make me clean. He says, you can do it if you want to. Do you want to? Jesus says, yes, I desire to. I want to. And he pronounces him clean. Many people in Jesus' day wouldn't have approached the man because he would have made them uncomfortable. Discomfort would have kept them from approaching the man. Uh, the discomfort, perhaps, of what he looked like as a leper. Uh, of his uncleanliness and the fact that even being near him could make us unclean, ceremonially unclean of being near a man who was thought by the community to be that sinful and to be around him. But Jesus is not 
governed in his decision-making as others would be by discomfort. He's governed by the compassionate heart of God. And so as it was compassion over plans and compassion over people-pleasing, here it is compassion over discomfort. Where other people may have uh, acted out of their discomfort, Jesus acts out of the compassionate heart of God. As Jesus looks at this man, he is overwhelmed by splagnizomai. He touches the man and heals him. Jesus didn't need to touch the man to heal him. Jesus heals all kinds of people without touching them. But this man had not experienced human physical contact since the time that he was proclaimed a leper. That essential part of our well-being, the physical contact, had been totally withheld from him. And Jesus, in his compassion, recognizing that, puts his hand on the man. And for the first time in, I don't know, maybe years, he experiences physical human contact as Jesus pronounces him clean out of the compassion of God. We can see the compassion and the healing that takes place here. Can you see the compassion of God in the healing of a man who is about to disobey him? What does Jesus say? We're told sternly, he tells the man, hey, don't tell anybody about this. And what does the man do? He waits about 0.3 seconds and he starts telling everybody around him about what Jesus did. Why didn't Jesus want him to tell anyone? Well, we can see why. Because the man disobeyed. Because now Jesus can't even enter into a town again during his ministry. He has to do his ministry entirely out in the wilderness. Can you see the compassion of God in the substitution that Jesus makes here? This man lives out in the wilderness outside of the town, outside of the community. For the Jews, the wilderness represented sin and punishment. And this man is stuck out in the wilderness. But he comes in contact with Jesus. Jesus touches him, and Jesus does not become unclean in the process. But because Jesus is cleanliness itself, the man becomes clean in the process. And now he can enter back into community life. He can enter back into worship life, the family of God, his own family. Jesus, in turn, has to now live out in the wilderness for the rest of his ministry life. He takes this man's place in the wilderness as this man is made clean. Right? This is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He has taken on the wilderness of our sin and our punishment so that we could be made clean and brought back into the family of God. Given that community, again, what a beautiful picture there is of this here. As Jesus goes out into the wilderness so that this man could come back into the family. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper here together, we're celebrating that compassion of Jesus, that substitution. We're out of the splagnizomai of God. He has taken on our sin and our punishment, and we get His righteousness credited to our account. In a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper together, but before we do, 
I want to ask the question, how, how can we grow in this kind of compassion in our own lives? Our, our God is a God of all compassion. Jesus shows splagnizomai everywhere he goes. As his followers, how can we grow in that kind of compassion? And I think the answer is in what Jesus did in verse 35, right? What did Jesus do in verse 35? And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. My emphasis is not in the dark. My emphasis is not desolate place. It is that he went out and spent time with God. We want the heart of God to grow within us. There's only one way that happens, and that is spending time with him in his word and in prayer. We have to be people of prayer if our hearts are going to become more and more the heart of God. Jesus is spending time with the Father, and that is key for us. Uh, there are some ways we want to encourage our church family to do this together in the coming weeks. On October 9th and 10th, we're going to encourage our church family to spend 24 hours in prayer and fasting together. We'll have fasting guides on the 9th for people, and we're going to spend time in our homes with our families making wise choices about how that looks in prayer and fasting together as a church to draw close to the heart of God. The following Saturday, October 15th, we're going to gather for an all-church prayer meeting, and we're going to spend time praying together, and we are also going to do a little bit of praying for fall retreat that is coming the week after that. Then on November 12th, and, and I can see some of you trying to figure, okay, can I remember all of these? There'll be advertisements for all of this. Right, November 12th, uh, Kenny and I are going to be doing a seminar on prayer that connects with the heart of God. And so we really want to invite you to come and be a part of that se uh, seminar as we look at the ways that God has taught us to pray and how those prayers connect with the heart of God. On November the 12th, that's a Saturday, we want to invite you to all of those things because we want to be a people of prayer who spend time with our great God because we love Him. We want to spend some time praying right now. So before we go to the Lord's table, I want to invite you to bow your heads. And we're going to spend some time praying. I'm going to feed you some things to pray about. And as I do, I just encourage you to be praying where you sit. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Would you spend a minute just hallowing the name of God, exalting, lifting up the name of God for who He is and what He's done? Jesus continues on, your kingdom come. Would you pray for God's rule and reign to come into the life of someone close to you who needs God's rule and reign to come into their life? Would you pray for that right now? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you think about the greatest concern or challenge in your life right now and would you pray God's expressed will as we see it in the scripture for that situation? Pray for God's will for that area of greatest concern in your life. Give us this day our daily bread. Would you pray for God's provision for those around you? those who are in your life. Pray for His provision for you. Give thanks for His provision of daily bread. 
God, forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Would you confess your sins as you think back through this last week? Confess your sins to God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray specifically against the temptations that are most challenging for you? As you think about the areas you just confessed, would you pray that God would be with you and help you overcome temptation in those things in the week to come? We confess our sins and we recognize the forgiveness, the greater grace that is available to us in Jesus. And as we go to the table now, I want to encourage us to continue to keep that in mind. The great compassion of our God expressed through Jesus that makes our forgiveness possible. If you're a follower of Jesus, we want you to participate in these elements with us. The bread that represents Jesus' body, the cup that represents his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And you can make your way to one of the tables as we sing this next song. Bring those elements back to your seat and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in just a moment. We're going to sing a song about the greatness of our God. I just want to encourage you to continue as we uh, go and, and bring these elements back to our seats to remain focused on the greatness of our God and his great compassion in our lives. Let's praise him together.